Welcome to the podcast series of the Winning Peace Conference, which took place on the 11th and 12th of October 2018 at the German Federal Foreign Office in Berlin. This is a special episode, since I did not interview one speaker but every moderator of the six panels. They all had the difficult task to sum up one hour and a half of discussions in a five-minute answer right after the end of the panel. My name is Cédric Yersin, and I talked in order of appearance with Christopher Clark, Michael Tumann, Christian Trippe, Michael Zugar, Nathalie Nugered, and Stefan Cornelius. The first panel was moderated by Christopher Clark. Christopher Clark is a professor of history at the University of Cambridge, specializing in the history of Germany and Europe in the 19th and 20th century, internationally known for his book The Sleepwalkers, published in 2012. And he moderated the first panel from the Paris Peace Treaties to Today's Visions of a Just World Order. Three historians spoke on this panel, Jennifer Keane, Laurence Baudel, Jörn Leonard, spontaneously joined by the for former foreign minister of Sweden, Carl Bildt, who gave the keynote speech. Professor Clark, you were the moderator of the first panel and you had the difficult task to open the podium discussions today by talking about what makes the world order just and how these visions changed throughout history. So, what are the key aspects of this conversation? Well, for me, I think what came out of the conversation was that you can't draw uh, or, or, or tell a linear story about how things have got better and better and better. Uh, it's a story about how we tried to do various things. We tried to limit armaments. Um, we tried to protect minorities. Um, we tried to... Um, To, to deal with the legacy of collapsing or decaying empires. We tried to do all these things after 1918, and we didn't do terribly well. We, we kind of failed. We largely failed. And um, the, the aftermath, of course, was a, yet another war, even worse and even more destructive than the first. Uh, and then very briefly, though, we didn't have too much time to talk about this, we returned to how these issues are shaping up in the last 50 years or so, since the beginning of the Cold War and since the inception of what we now call the post-Cold War or the post-post-Cold War. And... Um, And I think the story there is that, you know, once again, um, we don't have much evidence of linear progression. Um, in the area of arms limitation, for example, um, it, that those, the, the agreements reached in the 1980s are largely falling apart. Um, there's been a kind of decline in the quality of international communication. If you think about the, if you compare the, the Korean, the, um, the, the Singapore summit between um, the North Korean and American leaders with, for example, the very carefully planned summits of the 1980s, I wouldn't call that an improvement. Uh, I'd call that diplomatic fast food. Um, I think in terms of how we manage um, migrants, well, there again, that's an open question. We'll come back to migrations in a later session, but you can't really say that we've solved that issue. So it seems to me that what came out of our discussion is a sense of lots of uh, neuralgic questions, questions that st are still open and still produce and are associated with pain and suffering, human suffering. Um, questions we haven't really solved. And the most fundamental one is the question about whether we all share the same vision of a just world order. And there again, I think that it's not clear that we do. Um, there are very important differences on the questions like human rights. What place should human rights play and what should human rights mean? Um, what status should a linguistic or ethnic minorities otherwise defined uh, have in the, in the affairs of great states, um, which might, might be multinational? Um, How do we manufacture robust mechanisms for preventing uh, a backsliding back into 
a real war, a real confrontation with, by military means. So these are the questions we've asked. I don't think we've answered them because I don't think they have been answered by history. I think history is holding these questions open and um, it's, a, it's very much a sort of wait and see, watch this spot. The second panel was moderated by Michael Thumann. Michael Thumann is a foreign policy correspondent for the German newspaper Die Zeit, whose area of expertise is Eastern Europe as well as the Middle East. He was the moderator of the second panel, The Long Shadow of the First World War, where four historians debated the question of the long-term consequences of the First World War. Marianin Kalic, Rana Mitter, Jaroslav Ritzak and Edem Eldem. Michael Thumann, you chaired the second panel today and you discussed the so-called long shadow of the First World War, in particular in Eastern Europe, in the former Ottoman Empire and Asia. Could you summarize very briefly the discussions today? Yes, um, it's in, in fact, it's not easy to summarize a discussion which covered regions with a geographical span of uh, 8,000 or more kilometers. But uh, it was fascinating to see that, uh, in, in fact, with uh, countries like China and regions like Southeastern Europe, we have found a couple of common experiences. Um, and to name three of them, Uh, which is first uh, and foremost violence and the experience of violence and the trauma of violence, which is a very important trigger of uh, developments in society and developments in 20th century history in, in all the countries we have covered from China via Ukraine, Turkey and the countries of Southeastern Europe. Um, a second very important feature uh, we uh, focused on was uh, borders and uh, border change um, because border change is an issue until today and it was uh, a, a very hotly debated topic in uh, the aftermath of the Second World War and particularly of course in the peace treaties which followed um, and we discussed the question in, 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 in how far the decisions of the time in uh, the late 1910s and early 20s have repercussions until today. And as a result, and that is the third point we, uh, we discussed, is the question of uh, self-determination, which was born as a principle in the First World War, Uh, the Wilsonian principle of, uh, as part of the 17 points of President Wilson, um, which is a reference point for many uh, nations um, and, and the countries we have talked about, to start with uh, the uh, countries of southeastern Europe, which in the course of the First World War emerged on the landscape and, um, and, and claimed self-determination. But it is, uh, it is also a very important question when it came to the emergence of modern Turkey um, and Kemal Ataturk, who uh, uh, claimed this principle. The same is true for Ukraine um, in its long-standing fight for independence uh, from the Russian Empire, the Soviet Union, finally then uh, in the... Uh, uh, Soviet, when the Soviet Union fell apart in 1991, finally was able to 
uh, reach independence. And uh, finally, last but not least, of course, also China, which was in the First World War, in the aftermath of its own revolution of 1911, a divided state, an invaded state, and and a state with lots of foreign interference, colonial settlements, and which in the course of the 20th century claimed uh, self-determination and and independence, full independence. And uh, now we see other states uh, being concerned about uh, states who have 100 years ago claimed self-determination and these states today might be threatened by the self-determining claims of these nations which have come into emergence such as China for example Uh, so I think it's an ongoing question we will be further uh, further discussing it and this our discussion today was I believe uh, a first enlightening step hopefully to that. The third panel was moderated by Christian Trippe. Christian Trippe is the head of the Department for Security and Social Policy at Deutsche Welle, Germany's public international broadcaster, and he moderated the third panel, Societies Between War and Peace. This was the first panel that wasn't focused on history, but also on the practice of peacemaking, with, on the one hand, historians Achille Mbembe and Robert Gerwart, and on the other hand, former Swiss ambassador Heidi Tagliavini, Balkan specialist Angelusche Morina, and the director of the Brussels office of the NGO Human Rights Watch, Lotte Leicht. Christian Trippe, you moderated the third panel where practitioners exchange about their experiences with the point of view not so much of scholars, but directly from the field. What are the key lessons of this panel? summing it up is a very, very difficult task to do because we had so many different aspects of possible lessons that can be drawn from the very, from from the ill-fated process making peace in 1918 and the following years. Europe wanted a peace in 1918, but it just achieved a long-lasting ceasefire. The treatises of Paris, Versailles, Trianon and so on were not able to bring a long-lasting peace to Europe and they were not able to bring peace into the societies that were of the countries that were fighting that previous great war. Um, now, as Europe is still haunted by conflict, for example in Ukraine, as we face the war and the severe humanitarian crisis in countries like Syria or in, Eastern, in Western Africa, it's a a human necessity to draw lessons from history to avoid the mistakes that have been made a hundred years ago. But in the meantime, there was another world war and in the meantime we saw um, the rough development of international institutions to name but the ICC in The Hague and various ad hoc trials to um, to prosecute people who committed crimes against humanity. This, of course, goes back to the experience of the two world wars, these institutions, the establishment of these institutions, and what I learned, we have to deal today very carefully with the international law because it um, 
it, it's an important trigger to bring peace to a society and to end a conflict, but it needs to be adjusted to each conflict in its own matter. You can, there's not one law applicable at any time ad hoc for all conflicts to settle. What I found very stunning was that um, human rights activists, mediators, still look back to the First World War and the Second World War, to this period of severe interstate conflicts in Europe, to find the motivation for their work, which is much more than just a lesson, what to avoid, what wrongdoings to avoid. It's the, the inner motivation it's that um, Europe must not, never again end in such a bloodshed. And this creates human rights awareness of all kinds. And it became clear that it all goes back more or less to the period of the First World War and to the, the, the last month of the First World War. The fourth panel was moderated by Mikhail Tsugar. Mikhail Tsugar is a Russian journalist who received the International Press Freedom Award in 2014 and began recently to work on different historical online projects such as 1917 Free History or 1968 Digital. He chaired the fourth panel, Peace and Power After the First World War, where three speakers from very different backgrounds exchanged, the historian Adam Tews, Marc Perrin de Brichambeau, who is vice president of the International Criminal Court in The Hague, and Volker Stanzel, who is the former German ambassador to China and vice president of the German Council on Foreign Relations. Kelsuga, you just chaired the fourth panel of the conference, but the discussions covered most of the post-war world order after the first and the second conflict. What similarities and differences did the panel identify between these different moments and between these moments and today? I think that uh, our panel was very mm, thrilling. At the same time, most of the pa uh, panelists shared the same uh, opinion about the differences between the, the outcome of the First World War and the Second World War. And uh, if, if I should find the only, the, the one word answer, that would be the word vision. So uh, most of them um, agreed upon uh, the question that the lack uh, of vision of the post-World uh, War One um, world was the main difficulty uh, for the long and uh, stable peace after 1919. Uh, and that was the, uh, the, 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 real, um, the real obstacle to the stability of that system. Because uh, most of the panelists agreed on the um, rather surprising issue of uh, League of Nations, um, stating that it was not so ineffective as uh, um, as the, the stereotype uh, tells us. Um, so uh, the absence of of, of the vision uh, um, that could be shared by by the leadership of the major. Um, economic and, and political powers was was the weakest point in the, the post-World uh, uh, War I uh, situation. And at the same time, it seems to me that when it came to the discussion of today's world, uh, the panelists were not so sure that there is one 
uh, vision that unifies today's world uh, about how um, the world order could be adjusted. There is a, uh, there is a consensus that uh, that world, uh, world order that was established after the Second World War is not really relevant. Uh, that, was, that was admitted by all of the panelists and uh, all of them say that the world has changed so dramatically. All those mechanisms that were established uh, after Yalta Conference and after uh, 1945, are, some of them are outdated, some of them are not, uh, some, some of the, them were working, but they are not working anymore. Um, one of my colleagues um, um, said that the system could be uh, could be adjusted and could be fixed, and uh, it's uh, the, the adaptation of that world order is still possible. Um, but clearly, there is no vision that that unifies the uh, my my colleagues, uh, the panelists, and I guess. Uh, the questions from the audience uh, underlined um, that fact that that, that 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 still there is no one vision about uh, what what are the key values that can solve our current problems because uh, all those values that were undisputable after the end of the Second World War are now are not undisputable anymore. Um, all those rules which were Mm, universally um, recognized during the the second part of the 20th century are not are not there. Uh, the the democratic system, uh, uh, which symbol was United Nations, was undisputable and was recognized by the United States and by Soviet Union and by by most countries of the world. Now there are no rules uh, that. Uh, that could be recognized by by every and single country. At the same time, uh, nation states and the governments are not the the only major player in today's world. We we know that that geoeconomics is now much more important than, than geopolitics. So the new world order is not only a political one but an economic one and it's obvious that we have to address much more wide bunch of issues than we had to deal with um, 100 years ago and after the end of the second world war the fifth panel was moderated by natalie nugirad natalie nugirad is a foreign affairs commentator for the guardian and former editor-in-chief of Le Monde. She was the moderator of the fifth panel, Commemorating War and Peace, the centenary of the First World War, where the former foreign minister of the German Democratic Republic, Markus Meckel, exchanged with historians and specialists of the remembrance culture of France, Germany and Australia, Alice Julien, Arne Weinrich and John Beaumont. Nathalie Nougaret, you chaired the fifth panel which debated the questions of commemoration of the First World War, probably one of the most difficult topics for historians. And indeed, the discussions were very animated, with members of the audience 
not afraid to challenge the panelists. Could you try to sum it up? Yes, I thought it was uh, it was a fascinating debate because we had on the on the panel we had uh, essentially historians, uh, people who uh, are in the realm of the uh, scientific study of of, of history and uh, memory. And in the room, we had people uh, asking questions from the audience who some of them were in policymaking and in organizing some of these uh, commemorative events. And what was interesting is that um, uh, the, the, the some of the historians were saying, you know, we're still doing these First World War commemorations in formats that, although they are highly important, the Franco-German dimension and trying to bridge uh, perceptions and the asymmetry in, in how these uh, events of, of 1918 are remembered, although we, we, those dimensions are important, we need to... Uh, we need to widen it. We, we need to widen the scope, bring in Central and Eastern Europeans, bring in the Russians, bring in the Africans who also uh, had uh, were in that history of, of the First World War. And on the Eastern dimension, the Eastern European dimension, which was particularly stressed by uh, Marcus Merkel, um, who himself comes from uh, the former Eastern Europe, um, on that dimension, there were there were comments from the room from people in, involved in diplomacy or involved in defense uh, defense policy, saying uh, uh, politics. Uh, we we tried we tried to overcome some of these. Uh, this was not a a, a a conscious decision to omit to cut out uh, an entire part of Europe, but it's just very difficult to bring people together from East and West Europe on these issues of the First World War, uh, which didn't end in Eastern Europe in 1918. It ended later. Um, and it's difficult to do so because we have a complex situation in Europe, especially a complex situation with Russia, uh, the, 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 the situation in Ukraine, tensions with Poland, the, uh, Hungary can be mentioned. They're, they're, so you, can, you could see, you could deduct from the discussion uh, how... First of all, it's so important to work towards perhaps not common history or common memory, but at least the experience of sharing our different memories, sharing it, coming, bringing the memories together. We won't homogenize uh, European memory or memories across the world about First World War, but at least we should make more of an effort to bring people together to share those memories, to share those historical approaches. And so the debate between how, why it's important to do that and how difficult it is to do that uh, came together in that, in that panel, and I much enjoyed it. The sixth panel was moderated by Stefan Cornelius. Stefan Cornelius is the foreign editor of the Süddeutsche Zeitung and is an expert of German defense and security policy. He chaired the concluding discussion entitled Learning from the First World War, Designs, Instruments and Actors of Peace, during which the former president of the Republic of Latvia, Vaira Vike Freiberger, talked with experts of security policies and foreign affairs from England, France and Germany, Ayham Kamel, Justin Weiss and Volker Peters. Stefan Cornelius, you moderated the concluding discussion of the conference where the speakers tried to identify lessons from the previous panels for the present. So, what have we learned from the conference? 
The panelists learned quite a lot from the conference. The conference was a, a sort of a huge um, starting point for a view forward. What is happening in the world right now? What are the implications we take from this very day to the future? Uh, what can we learn from uh, the past 100 years and apply to our current um, turmoils we do see in the world? First of all, there's a very positive um, um, uh, takeaway. Uh, don't forget about the uh, positive implications Uh, the the end of World War One and the final peace arrangement brought to so many parts of Europe, uh, states were being built from scratch. Um, we had independent movements. Uh, freedom was a category which was brought especially to countries um, in the East, the Baltic countries. Uh, the map was withdrawn. So that brought a huge opportunity for so many which didn't had their voice didn't have their voice heard over um, the decades before um, however the turmoils we do see right now and the uncertainties about a changing world um, do bring back also the dark shadows of that period um, times of disorder times of vast changes in societies do bring um, dangers, do have um, inherent challenges which politics does have to answer if it should not um, lead into a, sort of a growing disaster. And there is certainly a huge number of similarities, a huge number of parallel developments visibly right now in a world which is under tremendous stress due to um, being sort of over-globalized, um, over-digitalized, and under-politicized for all of this. The question is, how does um, this hyper-nervous world cope with huge challenges brought upon us due to um, societal but mostly technical changes, technological changes, which are uh, the nucleus of uh, the dynamic we do feel today? This leads to disorder. This leads to the sense of loss of control. This leads to radicalization and to de-democratization. And these are the challenges which uh, the panel addressed and which we uh, adopted to the, uh, to the question, what, what does the years of ahead of us bring? What do we have to prepare to cope with these challenges? Um, one aspect which definitely has, uh, should not be overlooked and which bears huge lessons is what did the lasting or actually the not so lasting peace order after World War I, uh, what kind of order did it bring to forgotten areas, important areas like the Middle East or Africa, especially the Middle East, which still bears the scars of that period and that time, that area still is shaken by huge turmoil and uncertainty, which does um, uh, directly lead back to the mistakes being made a hundred years ago. One should learn from those mistakes and one should um, sort of try to avoid the same um, patterns in which we moved a hundred years ago and which led us to un functioning, not functioning, and uh, absolutely not harmonious societies. 
The similarities between today's fast-changing world, unstable societies, and the need to adapt to a lot of change, and the world of 100 years ago, where societies were unrooted, shaken by war and destroyed, are striking. This is why a couple of lessons need to be applied first. One is the notion of identity. Identity gives stability, gives people the idea where they belong and what they can achieve together. Identity is key to hold societies together. The second one is institutions. Institutions which are shaken are not bringing stability. This is why attempts to destabilize institutions, to hollow them from within, to bring them down, need to be battled fast. This third lesson is radicalization. Early attempts of radicalization in societies need to be addressed openly, directly, and, and with success, because radicalization is sort of self-growing. It is a self-propelling idea. It draws even more radicalization. So these are lessons which the panel advised to take serious to avoid mistakes being made 100 years ago. This podcast tried to sum up the discussions of the Winning Peace Conference held at the German Federal Office on the 11th and 12th of October 2018. You will find all the information in the program on our website win-peace-conference.berlin. Thank you for listening.